This is episode 27 of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagined. Or maybe they didn't imagine it, but they've become super successful at what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business, or they found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Vanessa Holding, executive producer and co-owner of Arc and Crown Media. Vanessa is a video production expert and loves to help her clients create video content that has an impact. She started out her career in marketing and communications and then went on to work for a corporate video production company for a couple of years, then decided to take a leap and start her own business with a co-founder. Arc and Crown Media was launched in 2015 and is an award-winning video production company that has been helping corporate communicators, learning and development, and marketing professionals get across important, complex, and sometimes even dull content in a way that gets attention. Arc and Crown offers employee engagement, e-learning video scenarios, corporate communication videos, and branded content videos. They've won three audiovisual arts awards and they provide consulting services, but also provide a lot of do-it-yourself content for those creators that want to take on producing their own video. And you'll often find Vanessa sharing her knowledge and expertise on LinkedIn. Vanessa understands the power of using video to tell a story in order to capture the attention of the audience. And she is so passionate about sharing her knowledge and helping people get it right. I love seeing her content on LinkedIn, and I can't wait to talk with her today because she not only loves what she does, but her clients rave about her level of professionalism, attention to detail, and her drive to take on any challenge and make it work. These are all qualities I love in working with others. So I can't wait to hear Vanessa's story and how she discovered and developed her love of storytelling via video. So Vanessa, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. So, <laughs> so everyone knows, um, how did I meet Vanessa? Uh, originally, I met Vanessa. I was trying to think of this, Vanessa. I think it was 2018 or 2019, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, it was through my good friend, Hermie. So uh, Vanessa and Hermie were in a business networking group together. And Hermie actually thought the two of us should connect. And I'm so glad that that happened. Like since then, um, we've been able to, you know, work on a few small projects together. And we're also so passionate about what we do. So I always love the conversations that we have. Like even the last meeting we had, we're like, how much time has gone by? We both need to get back to work. (laughs) But it's always interesting and always informative. And I always learn something from you. Um, And so Vanessa, perhaps today we can start off with a little bit about your story. Like, where did you grow up? What was it like? What were you passionate about as a young girl? And then let's move into like how you ended up owning your own video production company. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I grew up in the GTA, so I'm from Etobicoke, just outside of the downtown core. And, you know, I came from a family who um, had video production and, and that sort of, you know, the television world in their background. My dad actually ran a corporate video production company when he was my age in his 30s and then went on to do more technical directing for more like television type programming. 
And my mom was actually on television when she was in her 20s for a show called Winterio. It was like a lottery and she was the woman who held up the balls. <laughs> so she actually announced her pregnancy um, with me on, on television. And so I guess, you know, again, I grew up on sets um, and was in that space. And I actually also, um, I did a lot of things as a kid. I literally took like every class and lesson you could take from, you know, different sports and dance and, you know, painting and photography classes. But uh, I think drama was something that I always enjoyed. And so I ended up going to Etobicoke School of the Arts for high school. And I think that was a definitely a, sort of a pivotal you know, part of, of my life where it was just a really amazing high school experience. I didn't have my sort of core friend group there with me. They were all going to the, you know, the local high school, but I was exposed to just so many people who were maybe different than me and had um, unique artistic interests. And the teachers there were really interested in helping you learn through art. And so I think that, you know, um, really impacted me. And it was from there, I kind of found out that I didn't want to act formally. <laughs> but find that out? <laughs> I actually uh, went on some auditions and I was uh, not good at it. I was just, you know, actually funny enough, even though I love drama, I was fairly shy and insecure, um, you know, as a child. And I would literally feel like peeing my pants before I would go on stage to, to do any sort of you know, acting. Um, but I loved that world to a degree. I love storytelling. And, and actually I took one uh, class, which again, is not sort of a normal class you would see in a high school. And it was, um, it was video production and we, we made music videos and things like that. And um, so I really kind of fell in love with, with, with that space. And I ended up going to UFT, uh, kind of a, a program that was combined with Sheridan College. So I actually got a degree and a diploma at the same time, which was cool. And at Sheridan is where I got the hands-on experience of um, doing more video production related um, courses. And it was actually one professor there that I funny enough, she kind of looks like you. <laughs> but it's this woman, Kathleen Hearn. Um, and I always think back to her because, you know, in university, I still wasn't kind of, didn't have my finger, you know, on the, the pulse of exactly what I wanted to do. I just, you know, knew, I, you know, I, I like what I liked. I liked writing and, you know, um, I liked the creative things, but I wasn't exactly sure. And, and she was the one that, you know, one time when we were doing a group project, she said, you know, don't just, you know pair up with your friend find somebody who has a skill that you need like if you are you know need someone really creative go to this person and she said if you need someone really diligent and organized go to Vanessa <laughs> and I just realized like that's what people saw in me and uh, when I kind of looked back at my my whole university and even like back to junior school I was always kind of the manager the one that would organize people and you know like lead the group and say, okay, what are we going to do for this project? Okay. Who's going to do what? And, and so I was realized I was sort of a natural born manager. And that's when I kind of clicked in my third or fourth year in university that producing could be something that I could be good at. Yeah. And so you, um, it's interesting that you learned that at such a young age, but I also find it fascinating that you can like look back and see that and be like, oh yeah, I did that naturally. Like, why didn't I recognize that at the time? Um, but you, you're in school and you're taking this program 
but then you went like your program was marketing and communications, right? Yeah, it was called CCIT. So it was communication, culture, information technology, which is a mouthful, but you basically could do different arms. So there was like kind of the more visual art side. There was almost the scientific side of, of um, you know, uh, marketing and comms. And, um, and so, there, you know, there are a variety of different ways that you could go. And that was a little bit more on the university side. So at UFT was like that. Yeah. Whereas at Sheridan, that's where you got to choose from a bunch of more hands-on courses like graphic design and web design. And um, so I kind of got the theory and, and the hands-on approach at the same time. So by the time you were done school, like, did you, could you look back and say, yeah, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, or you were still kind of exploring? Because you had that experience at that um, company for a short time, right? Yeah. So I did right out of school. I was hired on with the company that I was interning with. So it was a small video production company and had a great experience there because it was like the owner was, you know, almost just a few years older than me type of thing. And he was kind of learning as we went and he was really open to um, me kind of bringing in fresh ideas. And because of my, you know, my father, I had a lot of connections to the, you know, production world. So I was able to really help the company, I think, progress. And, um, and that's when I, you know, started thinking about potentially my own thing. But before that, I, I ended up getting poached by one of our clients who was a startup tech company, and they um, they purified um, water with nanoparticles. It was oh. kind of crazy and very different than anything I'd you know been exposed to before that. And and they I think just were working on a video project with us and needed a, a new marketing person, and they liked me, and so they just kind of offered me a position. And it was a crazy organization and just wild things happened there, but it was a really interesting experience. Um, I got to go to Ecuador and visit mine tailing plants. And so it was a cool kind of, you know, time, but I also realized doing something for one company wasn't my, and then also the limitations of having to get approval from, you know, a CEO who's gallivanting around all the time and things like that, that that's what I didn't love about working with one client, basically, whereas in production world, you work with so many different clients and you're always learning about new businesses and understanding, you know, what makes them tick to be able to create video projects for them. So that's what I really missed. And that's when I went back into production. And then after, uh, I think about a year and a half or two years, then I started my own business. Yeah. Well, and if you're doing marketing for a small startup tech company. If you don't know, Hermie and I also worked at small tech company, small startup tech company. And, you know, one of the things we talked about that we loved about it was it was just like so dynamic, like every day was different. And even though you're hired for an expertise in a certain job, you might be doing 10 other things. And, you know, we both kind of liked that, but I, I also understand like, especially from a creativity standpoint, working with one client to do everything around like building their brand, unless it's something you're like super interested in, might be really challenging. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has its pros and cons, I think, but that was the one thing that I think I just got a bit bored. Yeah. And it felt like I, you know, 
I just missed the constant exploring and understanding of a, of a new client, essentially, and a new, like, you know, in, in corporate video production and my company and the one that I work with, we, we weren't super niche. So we, we worked with so many different types of industries and sizes of companies and, and got to really, you know, know the people that we work with, whether it was in the comms department or the, you know, HR or L and D department. So um, it was just cool to, to be constantly meeting new people and understanding new companies. So that's, yeah, what I, what I really missed. Yeah. And so you're at this um, tech company and then like, was it just one day you're like, forget this, I'm going to start my own business or like, how did that come about? So I went, I was back at the production company and I, right when I went back, I kind of, I, I actually told, you know, my boss because I was looking for another job and, and he was like, well, you know, all, I was actually asking for a reference <laughs> and he was like, will you come back? And I was like, okay. But I, you know, I said to myself and to him that this wasn't long-term, like I wanted to to move on to, to different opportunities because they were a small production company. Um, and after a year or so of being there, and again, it just not being the, the best fit for me at the time, um, I kind of looked around and realized that I was doing a lot of the work that needed to be done to make the business run. So I should mention that the production company I worked at for two different time periods were owned by two different people. So at the beginning, oh. it was owned by one gentleman and then, um, and then it got sold to the editor and that editor still owns the business today. I see. I so, see. So different um, leadership. It was also different leadership. Yeah. Very different leadership. And, um, and I also was able to do different things. So when I was first there, I was doing a lot of administrative stuff. So I dealt with all QuickBooks and, you know, the back end of a lot of things. So I kind of learned the, that administrative side of the business and then when I went back, it was predominantly in a sales role. And he had kind of made that clear. He wanted me to focus on sales. And I will say that this is, I always think an interesting part of my story is that I never considered myself a salesperson. <laughs> I liked video production and I liked the creative aspect of things, but I also loved the, you know, the, the producing, which is kind of, again, understanding the needs, figuring out the strategy and objectives of the client and then executing but the sales piece, um, you know, the company did get a lot of leads. So it wasn't like I was doing, you know, too much cold calling or stuff like that, but um, they focused a lot on SEO and, and they would get leads in. And then I would go and, and do all of our you know pitch calls or pitch meetings. And what's so crazy is that, you know, I was fresh out of university, like a, you know, probably 20 year old, you know, young woman and would go to sometimes board meetings with 10 people around the table and I'd have to pitch. And it was intimidating at first, but what I quickly realized is that sales is just about helping people and about sort of understanding, you know, the root of, of, of what their issue is or what their, you know, goals are. And the other key thing that I learned early on is that I don't need to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, really eye-opening because I would go into sales meetings kind of nervous and like, you know, wanting to prepare as much as possible by understanding the company and understanding, you know, similar projects that we've done that I can present and pitch, but they would ask me a technical question or something that I wasn't aware of, it, you know, with time, I realized, well, I don't need to know everything. I have a team that I work with. So you'd be like, okay, well, let me get back to you. Let me talk to my team. And then once I, you know, figured out that key line. But it's funny because I feel like I, listen, I 
I, I don't think I'm a good salesperson, first of all. And it's, uh, it's funny because I have people in my life who always tell me, you should be in sales. Why aren't you in sales? And like the biggest thing is like as a business owner, you're always in sales. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. So and you, you have really have yourself. Yeah, you're selling yourself, you're selling your services, but it's like your cons, it's it's always on. It almost always has to be on. So it's interesting that you did the sales piece because I'm sure that helped you transition then when you were like running your own business because it's just another skill set that you had. Yeah, I think the one thing I, I recall struggling with at the beginning was going from my sales pitch that I had down at that time, which was we've been in business for this many years. We have this many employees. We've worked for X, Y, and Z companies. You know, these are some of the projects I can show you. And then when you start your own thing, you realize, oh, wow, I can't actually say all that stuff that was like a part of my whole sales pitch. So, you know, what am I talking about now when I'm, you know, it's different now that I'm, you know, six plus years long in my business, I have all of those things to say again. But day one, it was like, oh my God, what, what can I talk about? So I had to talk more about sort of my personal accomplishments, my theory of things, what I believe in. And also, again, at the end of the day, I believe sales is, you know, speaking to, you know, your, your subject and asking them the right questions. And I think that's how I've won a lot of business over the years is by asking the right questions. Yeah, one no, for sure. And it's interesting because like when you, um, I'm super curious about this, when you were working for another company and selling that company versus you start your own company and you're selling your own company and you're selling yourself, did you have any challenges when it came to making that transition? And the reason I'm asking this question is because a lot of the times, like I know, for example, myself, if I'm working for someone else, I'll give like 150% and I'm fully like vested and confident and I can go and I can do it. And then like, I remember in the beginning when I had to like sell myself, it, it wasn't the same level of commitment or confidence even though it was the same service, essentially. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just- 100%. I think that's where I had to flip a switch after a few months because I was at the very beginning in that in that headspace of, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? Because I don't have those list of accomplishments. Even though I had accomplishments, you know, sort of on my resume, so to speak, I could speak to, you know, the, the large projects that I've managed from, you know, beginning to end, on behalf of another company, I now had to um, kind of position it in a different way. But I definitely learned early on, and I don't remember where I read this, but I've, I've probably read it in numerous places, but I always say like, be your own biggest fan. Yeah. And I've noticed that over the years is so important in running your business. Like when you see somebody, you know, they say your elevator speech. Well, if you, you know, see a friend and they're like, oh, hey, what are you up to? you know, it's important to unfortunately, like, be super confident tout your accomplishments. Oh, this is these are the things I'm working on. Because that you never know when that person's going to be like, Oh, wow, that's so cool that that those are the type of things you're doing. I didn't know I have a project that, you know, might be of interest to you. Like, and, and those types of things have happened because I've, you know, promoted and spoken about some of my accomplishments. 
Um, so yeah, I, I certainly tell everyone, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're running your own business or you're again, working within a, you know, an organization, you need to tell your manager what you're doing. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Yeah. Like, because the people that, that do and, and not to make it a gendered thing, but there have been studies that show that men sometimes get, um, positions more, more often or get, uh, you know, promoted more often than women, just because they speak about their accomplishments and, and what they've done. Whereas women are like, oh, people will see it, you know, they'll see the hard work that I'm putting in, but they don't always verbalize it. So I, I think that's really important. And, and the other piece I'll just mention on that is with social media, which has now become sort of a outward expression of, of what we're up to often. Um, we've noticed, you know, my business partner and I, that when we are really busy and we kind of go dark on social, people like friends or colleagues or whatever will say, oh, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Like, what, what have you been up to? Whereas when we are, you know, going all out with social and posting often, people are like, wow, it looks like you're doing great. And, and like, they don't know it's actually the reverse. Like when we're <laughs> slower is when we have the time to do social and, and post about all the things that we've been up to. But people see it as like the exact opposite. Yeah, it's so it's 100% so true. And, and it is so important to promote yourself in the right way at the right time with the right people. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other um, piece, I think that a lot of women uh, struggle with, and their husband's studies around it is the whole thing around imposter syndrome and, you know, getting just like, Ooh, someone's going to discover me. And like, listen, I worked in e-learning for how long was an expert worked at it from the beginning. And you'd still have moments where you're like, what if someone, you know, doesn't think I'm as good, like that good. What if someone sees a mistake? And the thing for anyone to know about e-learning, especially with instructional designers is like, you can have content and every instructional designer you go to will design it in a different way. And so (laughs) it's like, there's no, (laughs) right. Same with video, probably. I'm sure like in a thousand different ways. Right. So it's not that any one person is, is 100% right or 100% wrong. There's different ways to do things. But I think, you know, one of the things is as women, like how do we become more confident in the skill set and the knowledge that we have in order to like really progress and move to these levels that we should be moving to. And that's why I think, you know, building a network is, is really important, but I will say just with the network that I had from the beginning of when I started my business and I started building my network and I started connecting with people, I got a lot of confidence from the people around me who, you know, were were just so kind to to give me that confidence and to say oh my god that's so cool that you're doing this or you know um yeah I really love the videos that you're producing or you know just oh for your age you know you you're really far ahead or just like little comments that you know people in my networking um circle would kind of help build build you up and then give you that um that confidence to just then go repeat that <laughs> just yeah. to somebody else. Well, Maybe but, but, know you quite well. but that's that's also why it's so important and so critical, especially if you are a business owner, and more importantly, probably if you're a new business owner, um, to make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. You know, and I learned this lesson like probably 
you know, you'd always heard it, you know, the top five people that you surround yourself with have the most impact influence on you, whatever. And it wasn't until about 2017, I think I started working with this business coach and we did an analysis around like the top five people I spend most of my time with. Mm -hmm. And I had it all wrong. Like it was completely wrong. And and it was so funny because, you know, exactly what you said, like you need to surround yourself with people that understand what you're trying to do, but also will congratulate you on things and that they're not giving you like little small comments to kind of bring you down. Right. Yeah. And, and I, the thing, the thing that drives me nuts the most is so many women do this and I don't even know if they know they're doing it. Like you mean just like sort of a, a little bit of a jealousy, a little thing? bit of a dig, mm-hmm. like it's just a little bit of a dig, you know? And so it's like, I'll give you a, a funny example. I was out recently and three different men in the same night told me I had a beautiful face, which made, okay. I was like, is there a <laughs> script out there for men? Like where am I getting this script from? Right. And then I was joking with these girls. I was like, wow, my face care routine must be on fire. (laughs) And then the one girl's like, and your Botox. And I was like, I've never had Botox, but thank you for thinking that I have. Yeah. But imagine, you know, it's always those little comments. And listen, that comment has nothing to do with me. That comment has everything to do with that person. Right. Totally. Totally. But but when are women going to recognize that? they're doing this to other women and they're also doing it to themselves. But to your point, I think that it's exactly what it is. It's typically an insecurity on their part that that's what's kind of shining to light because usually when you are just happy and content, you just want to celebrate and, and, you know, and cheer other people on. And again, I think I've been lucky with the network that I've found, that I found a lot of those amazing other entrepreneurs and, and, you know, even my personal network, you know, friends that, um, that are super supportive. And I think that is really important to be surrounding yourself with, with those type of people. And then, and if you don't have them again, just at the end of the day, you have to focus on yourself yeah. at times and, and not worry about, you know, what other people are up to. And I think it is so easy to compare a yes. lot, but something that I've done in the past is like a gratitude journal. And I think that's really helpful or like, I'll even just if not, you know, too lazy to write anything down. I just think about three things that I was grateful for that day. And it can be super simple, like grateful that the sun came out today, you know, grateful that I had a delicious lunch or it can be, you know, kind of more meaningful things. But I think that's so key because you can compare yourself to, you know, anyone. And, you know, um, I think it's better to, to, I mean, I, I do find myself, you know, looking at other um, maybe businesses or business owners and wanting to emulate or, um, you know, being um, sort of in awe at times of what they've accomplished. And, and I think that's still good. Um, but I also think you have to sit back, look at what you've done and just be grateful and appreciative of everything that you've accomplished. And, um, and, and I think that will just kind of change your headspace a lot of the times. Oh, 100%. Like I am a firm believer in the practice of gratitude. I, every morning I write down, um, one thing that I really am grateful for and one thing that I really want. 
And the thing that's funny about that is it really helps you kind of get focused in on what's really truly important and what matters. Right. And also on things that you do want to achieve and this whole like comparison game, it's so hard on an individual to do that to themselves because it's actually not fair. Like everybody starts at different places, different spaces, like Mm -hmm. comparison is a thief of joy. And, Mm -hmm. and I also believe like, if you're comparing yourself to someone else and you truly aren't happy with where you're at, like you have the power to make changes. Totally. And I think you you have to want to. Yeah. I think that, uh, in addition to the gratitude, um, writing down one thing that you want is really interesting. And I I haven't done that before, but goal setting, I know is just super key in, in business, but yeah, back to the other point, it, you don't know what other people are struggling with. And once you get to know people on a deeper level, you often realize that their life might not be as perfect as, as you thought. And like, we all have, you know, challenges or insecurities or, you know, whatever that may be. And I think again, social media is, you know, sort of a a drop in the bucket glimpse into, you know, what somebody else is up to. Um, But that's why, you know, it is important to, you know, understand we're all on our, our own journeys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, I teach a goal setting course that is really kind of around, like, what is it that you really want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. And you can kind of like redesign your life. And at the end you have a roadmap on kind of how to get there, but it, it's, I don't know that enough people do like that analysis around, like, what do I really want my life to look like? Like, if I'm really not happy, how do I want to make changes? Um, but to get back to this, one of the things I want to ask you is like, as um, a business owner and like surrounding yourself with the right people. So one of the things I've gone through multiple times is like kind of needing to up level. So it's like, you have great people around you, but you know, sometimes you just need to make change in order to help your own growth move to another level. And sometimes that means like finding a different networking group or networking with a different level of entrepreneur or networking in a different industry. Um, have you had that experience yet? Or have you ha- made any changes like that? Yeah, well, BNI is a networking group that I was a part of for about six years. So I essentially started right when I started my business. It was one of the first kind of formal networking groups that I was introduced to and and, and joined and was graciously accepted because I was such a, you know, a new small business owner at the time. And again, it was so helpful throughout my journey. I think, um, the, with BNI, people don't know it's an international organization. There's chapters and there were 30 chapters in the GTA. So quite a number of people. And it became this thing that you would meet people and you'd mention the name of it. Oh, I was a member or am a member. And it, it just became this really sort of large net that, that you could cast to, to connect with other people. And so that was really useful, but um, the people in the chapter do change over time. People come and go. And, and I think also with COVID uh, and us being virtual, um, there were some, um, you know, there just shifts in the group. And I happened to um, have a child this past summer. And so it kind of lined up with the the end of my year in June, I decided to, to leave the chapter. And, um, you know, I, when I did put my son in daycare in January, I could have technically, you know, gone back to the group, but 
Um, I just felt like it was time to sort of move on. I have, uh, I am part of uh, some other networking groups. So one is um, an association that's focused on uh, business communicators. Yeah. Um, and then another one is um, focused on uh, learning and development professionals. And while those are very different types of networking, it's it's less regimented. It's not weekly. Um, it's so it's it's I guess less of a commitment, and therefore typically less of a of a tight bond with with the individuals. But you connect on on different levels, and the ones that you um, you know are, are meant to be closer with, you innately will be drawn to them. And and so with those two other networks that I'm a part of, I have. Um, gotten opportunities. I have now, again, a robust network that I use to uh, connect other people. I think being a connector is something that I learned is really, really key and something that somebody um, that I, I very much trust and respect their opinion. Um, a woman in, in comms that was um, sort of like a, you know, role model to me. Um, you know, she had mentioned that if you are, um, you know, a connector and good at, at bringing people into a business, you'll always be needed by any company. Um, and I thought that was interesting and I've seen it work really well for, and like Hermie connecting us. And then, you know, we try and, you know, find business for each other when it makes sense and collaborate. And, um, that's also a big part of producing is, finding the right people and having a lot of, you know, collaboration partners. So I think that's always been, uh, you know, part of my mindset, but. Um, Don't you think part of yeah, that, like, think like we, you and I have never been in like a formal group together. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should think about doing but um, Don't you think it's interesting? Like we've had, you know, a handful of meetings or whatever, but I've been able to get a sense of like, how diligent you are, that you deliver on what you promise. Um, there's like no smoke and mirrors here, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I got that. I got that, Vanessa. I got it. And I think like, that's the biggest thing. It, Cause I'm, I'll tell you, like, I'm super stingy with my referrals. Like, <laughs> mm, <okay. laughs> yeah, I, I am because I like, unless I have like really truly done a project with you or worked with someone in a capacity, I'm super leery about like passing someone on because I don't want someone to have a bad experience because it's also your reputation, right? Sure. Um, especially with like large clients or whatever. So I think it is important to like form those connections. And even though like, so your um, industry is video, I'm in like e-commerce and e-learning and you know, the mistake a lot of people make is they think when they're doing like an online business that you don't need to do that piece. Everything is you online. Always that piece. You always need to do that piece. <laughs> and even if you don't have a business, I think that's another key thing that people need to realize. And what I need to tell my past self, because I recall when I started my own business and then it was something like, okay, wait, I, I need to network. I need to, you know, build this network. And then I realized there were so many events in the city. There was so much going on be beyond the walls of the company that I used to sit in their office. And that was something that was super eye-opening to me of like, when you, when you kind of go and you just get a paycheck, oftentimes you, you're just focused on your task at hand and you don't realize that 
building your network is so imperative in case that job ever goes away. And I know, you know, when you had your conversation with Hermie, that was um, a topic um, in employment law because things have changed so much over the years. People, and I remember in university, I was told that, you know, your grandparents' generation had one job often their entire lives. Your parents' generation often had multiple jobs, but one career, like one one type of, of industry that they were in. Whereas you, in terms of my generation, it's like, you're, you're likely to be switching industries and switching jobs like all the time. And that's just kind of the new way of the world. And um, so I think everyone basically needs a network. And I think people nowadays who don't have a LinkedIn presence, for example, when it's so simple, um, you know, we're on all these other social platforms for, nothing but, you know, personal fun and giggles, whereas a LinkedIn profile that, and like adding a few things that show your personality or, you know, things that you're, you're interested in, in your, you know, your, your professional world can do you wonders when one day you need it. Yeah. Like I love, I love how on LinkedIn, you just shared how you could add the video profile pic thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, I did not know that. And, and like, what a nice touch. Like you can really get a sense for someone, like not just from their photo. So I still have to make mine. I haven't made it yet. Um, but I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Well, I'll give you a tip. I'm posting a video tomorrow about how to, um, how to create the video, but the biggest tip, cause I recorded mine last week and I did it horizontally. I saw that. it's a vertical video that LinkedIn wants you to, to put up because they just want it to be somebody grabbed their cell phone and recorded a under 30 second little, this is who I am. Welcome to my profile page. And I think it's so smart because if you're a hiring manager and you get a stack of 300 resumes and you're trying to figure out what's this person actually like because everyone lists good at communication (laughs) and team player (laughs) and all of those types of things so who who is this person really and I guess again on your profile there could be certain tags or you know feature posts or different things that can show a little bit about who you are but a short video I mean there's no denying that you can get a good sense of someone's personality and and what they're like from that so Um, I think it's a great way to stand out. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I I was laughing because when I saw your video, I saw that, but like the horizontal versus vertical. Yeah. One of the things that makes me laugh about these social platforms is like, why can't we get one standard way? Like, why can't we have one standard way? Like, let's do horizontal or vertical and let's do it everywhere. Not having to like do whatever here and then there, right? It's the same thing with photos too. It drives me nuts. I know. And now on Instagram, I feel like there's like a million options. You can do a story, you can do a reel, you can do a post. It's like, it it does get overwhelming because you're constantly having to sort of learn this new platform and all its features and but when you also wonder like how it affects um, people on the platform, because for example, I, I was in a group and they were talking about how Instagram, when they introduced, introduced reels, Instagram also changed its algorithm. Now we're getting so detailed. Instagram also changed its algorithm. And what they're trying to push is people trying their new features. So yeah. if you weren't doing reels, it totally affected your engagement level which a lot of influencers are crying about, right? Because they're like, what is happening? 
For sure. And I, I think that will always be the case. It's the same with Google and SEO, you know, websites in the built in the 1990s, you know, did all these tips and tricks. Like they would take a keyword and put it in white text on a white background, like tons of times in the back of their, um, their website. So the keyword would appear and then, you know, the, the, the bots at Google got wise to that and put an end to that. And so I think that's just the you know inevitability, the progression of technology. It's always going to adapt and change. And unfortunately, we're going to have to adapt to it. Um, but I think sometimes when you can be ahead of the curve, that's when you can really stand out. So for going back to LinkedIn, for example, because so few people are active on the platform, yeah. it can be a great place to get attention. And particularly with video, obviously what I promote, if you post a video on LinkedIn, it will, it will be on that platform for a good week or so because there's so little content that people are posted and LinkedIn likes video. So they're going to, the algorithms are going to promote it. So, so many eyeballs will, will see that content and they'll have a, a fairly long shelf life in comparison to some, maybe some other um, social channels. Ooh, that's a good tip. <laughs> Don't tell everyone. <laughs> We're here to share. We're here to share. (laughs) But but video is, it is an investment. I always say that. And and even if you're doing a selfie video, you know, on your um, camera, like on your smartphone, it's still an investment because you have to be camera ready. Yeah. (laughs) You have to, you know, be ready to perform because I always say appearing on video should be a performance. It's not just like you're talking to your friend. You want more energy. You want to be more dynamic. Um, so it, it does take an extra step than maybe, you know, just, you know, posting a photo with a little bit of text. So, but with that investment, I think you can reap a lot of rewards. Yeah, it's true. Like I would do more TikTok videos, but the problem is like, I don't do my hair and makeup every day. And <laughs> I'm like, my hair is in a messy bun. Uh, I don't like what this looks like. I'm not doing videos today. <laughs> I feel you, but I, I also feel like nowadays people are so wanting that authenticity and it's almost like, could be your brand. Keep it real. Keep it real. Yeah, this is what yeah. I look like every day. Not exactly. Um, so let's go back because we kind of missed um, the one thing I wanted to ask you about is like, when you started your company, you decided to go with a co-founder. How did that mm-hmm. happen? So it's actually an interesting story because there were three of us initially. Oh. So I went to university um, with a woman who was just very intelligent and firecracker personality and just really, um, really enjoyed her. And she was uh, tech savvy as well, but um, also great people person. So my business partner, Tatiana, um, she's an editor by trade. She's a lot more quiet and reserved than I am. So I always say she's sort of the yin to my yang and we're a perfect match. But uh, we we had this other player um, at the time when we were initially sort of brainstorming, like we wanted to start a company and, you know, this would be a perfect fit. Vanessa would do sales, you know, Tatiana would do editing. And then, you know, the other partner would do a lot of our like website and marketing and, and production stuff. So 
that's how it started. And then I was the one to go out first. So we, we took a couple months to sort of plan, get some samples together, get our website going. And then it was like, okay, well, you know, Vanessa needs to leave her job and she needs to start hustling and get us, get us some projects. And so, okay, well, that makes sense. So I left my job and then within a month realized like, okay, well, this is going to take a little while and I need more help. And so I got a lawyer to draft a, um, a contract and I put it in front of them both. And I said, you need to leave your job within six months. So I actually think it was quite a fair uh, assessment. Looking back, I, I should have been like, we all leave our jobs at the same time. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I gave them a sort of a six month ultimatum. And, you know, the one woman said, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to continue working. And, but obviously just wasn't fair from my perspective while I was making, you know, nothing starting building this business and they were still working full time. So uh, my business partner decided to take the leap of, leap of faith with me. And, and so she was continuing working. And then after like a couple of months, uh, I think her mother actually said to her, like, you know, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you in this business or you not? And so then she, she just left and then we started, uh, going full, full out. Yeah. Cause I think, I think one of the challenges is like both of you, well, all three of you could have stayed with your full-time jobs, tried to do this on the side, um, and you know, sometimes you can do that and get it to like a certain level, mm-hmm. but it can also be like super stressful in a different way because then you're just working 24 seven, trying to juggle the expectations of being an employee and trying to like start your own thing. Yeah. Um, but it's also good. Like it's smart that you got a lawyer to put a contract together because most partnerships don't do that in the beginning. I know. And we, we actually incorporated day one. Oh, good. So we incorporated, we got our contracts together and, um, kind of had that foundation, I think. Um, and then also very early on had a bookkeeper manager books. So that was always clean and well done and, um, really just then was able to focus on what we enjoyed doing. Um, and we had a few wins early on, um, which really kind of got us through. And I remember actually month one, um, when I was the only one, uh, who had left, I actually spent the majority of that month writing a business plan. And that was a really interesting, um, sort of undertaking and something I'd never done before. Um, and I almost like, you know, if I were to recommend it to somebody else, I'd be like, that's step one. <laughs> before yeah. you build the website, before you get any samples, before you leave your job, do that business plan. Because um, like I said, it was very time consuming, but it, it makes you stop and think, what, what are my, you know, who is my target audience? What are these, you know, characters look like? And um, how am I going to target them? What are the marketing strategies that we're going to do? What's our competition like? What are they up to? And um, sort of doing all those SWOT analysis and things like that, that, uh, just puts things in perspective. Yeah. But you know, it's so funny. Like so many people don't want to do that piece. It's like, ah, documentation, business plan. And it, but it's, it does get you to really think about, is this the direction I want to head in? Yeah. Is this who I want my audience to be? Is this what I want the name of my business to be? Like, does this make sense? And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, like, I think to be honest, one of the most important things is 
identifying really who you want your customer to be and who you don't want it to be. And that's for a lot of different reasons, right? Because like, do you want, if you're going after a certain type of customer, that type of customer could actually be the biggest pain in the ass. So you have to know you're going after that type of customer and what the challenges might be with that type of customer for you then to be like, yeah, I totally want to take that on. For sure. I I do think things, you know, sometimes do change over and, you know, you adapt things over time, but yeah, in that initial kind of analysis in laying everything out and just kind of being clear on what your direction is that will help you in making decisions. Cause I know I'm the type of person I get very easily excitable. So opportunities arise. I'm like, Oh, this opportunity. And then another one, Oh, that opportunity. And so it is good to, um, to try and be a bit more focused on you yeah. know, what actually is going to move the needle. Yeah. Cause I'll share with you like early on with orange fish, like, I don't know, do you remember like Groupon and, yeah. um, so there's Groupon and there are like three or four different ones that were all kind of around the same premise, but I was really like at the stage with orange fish where I really wanted to grow my customer base, grow my numbers. And so I can't even remember which one I did. It wasn't Groupon, but it was another one. And I did a deal with them and, you know, I didn't put enough thinking into like, what that really meant <laughs> in the sense that so basically for anyone that's listening what would happen is i'd put out a deal with this customer base and say if you buy like a 50 dollar uh card you're actually going to get a hundred dollars so essentially okay. they're getting like 50 free dollars right mm-hmm. and so i did that and it was massive success, (laughs) like massive success. Like I was, I was like, Oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I was like at a wedding in the States and I'm supposed to be at the wedding and I'm in the hotel room, like figuring out all this technology stuff that was happening. (laughs) Oh no. And so it was, it was crazily successful, but in hindsight, the customer that I got was the deal chaser. Yeah. That's not the customer I wanted. So, but did they end up using the cards? Of course, of course they they end up using the card, but then they they also want everything else for free, right? Like why isn't free shipping included in this? Why isn't this included? Like it's a, it's a deal hunter and there's nothing wrong with being a deal hunter, right? Mm -hmm. But when there are other certain components, like you have to build it into your offer to make sure that it's super clear, um, that people know what they're getting, what they're not getting. And also recognize that, this particular type of deal hunter, um, in some ways it's great because anytime you have sales or you're trying to move a product, they're going to buy it. Mm. So you build up that area, they'll buy it out. They'll clean out your inventory, which is great, but they're never, ever going to be the customer that buys anything at full price. Yeah. That does remind me of when we have put out offers or, um, or services that will help small business owners. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, I'm a small business owner myself. I want to help other small business owners. And, um, you know, for example, in that uh, course and the coaching and consulting I've done around self-recorded DIY content. And I've always had in my mind that this type of offering could work well for large corporates too, because there's sales teams and there's comms people that, especially obviously during the pandemic, when you can't always, you know, record doing it virtually or over a cell phone is a great, 
great option. Yeah. But you know what, like, what is, what is the name of the course just for people listening? Um, how to create DIY LinkedIn videos. Okay. And it's on your website, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, with that, I just discovered that the small business owner that is eager to produce videos oftentimes doesn't have the actual time uh, and capacity to, to follow through. So even though they are excited about the idea and want to do, like want to do it, they oftentimes just have too many hurdles um, to really do it on a regular basis. Um, I don't be... agree with that. Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I, th- I think they're just not making it a priority. Well, but that's exactly it. So for right. example, a lawyer who, this is my number one thing that I want to focus on right now and, you know, overanalyzes every element of it um, and is finally like happy with, you know, where he's at production wise and content wise. And then now we're busy. Uh, this will be something that maybe we'll revisit in a few months. I'm, I'm not even going to put out like one video. That is, uh, that is like a need for perfectionism. And there's also some sort of fear there. For right? sure. And, and that's, um, a, I think a big thing I've seen again and again is the fear. Um, and I think when you are, sometimes in a, in a corporate setting, you're sort of pushed (laughs) to do something. And, uh, you know, if you have a deadline and the boss that's, you know, over. No, but I, I think as a small business owner, you get your butt up and you do it. Like, do you know how many things I've done as a small business owner that I did not want to do, but I did, but, but part of it is kind of like, a, what are you willing to do to make your business successful? Mm-hmm. And how are you prioritizing? Because this is what I'll tell you, like everyone says they're busy. Everyone's busy, busy, busy. But are you busy doing the right things? Are you busy doing things that are going to move the dial? Or are you yeah. just busy to be busy? And that's actually something that I had learned in connecting with a business coach a while ago. And so I set tasks in my calendar because that's the only place that I would 100% do it as if it was yeah. a timed event in my calendar that has, you know, that's blocked off um, to do the most important things. Oftentimes the sales piece of, you know, f- my follow-ups or, you know, my, my reach outs and things like that. Because uh, again, as a business owner, there's a yeah. lot of different tasks that we're juggling. And to your point, you got to figure out what's worth it. Like my weekly videos that I started a couple of years ago and that, does take um, a good amount of time to produce because I need to think of the content and write the script and film it and then edit it. I do it all by myself. Um, And then, and then, and then post it and think of the post. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is the thing. So this is what I share in my program. I have this, it's so old school, but I have this like Excel spreadsheet that I use and it is like every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then it's like, Weekly, what do I need to do? Monthly, quarterly, annually. And so it's all my goals. But then every Monday, I know I need to do these specific tasks. Mm. And the biggest mistake people make is for their task, they write, oh, I need to, I need to write a blog. No, that's not all you need to do. You need to think of your topic. You need to then sit down, down and draft it out. You need to find graphics to go with it. And then you need to also schedule time 
to post it wherever you're posting. That one thing, write a blog, just turned into what, five or six different things you actually have to do. And the other interesting thing, and because funny enough, I just did it, right? I just said all of the steps that you need to take to, to create a video. But when you mentioned blog, because I do think back when I used to work for another production company and the boss was very focused on SEO, we wrote a blog a day, okay? So somebody in the office had to write a blog. It Just to, for everyone out there, you don't need to do that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's over. Like it's a, a blog a week, two blogs a week, great. But a blog a day, crazy. But we would do that. So, and it didn't matter how busy we were. So you could be, you know, running around with your head cut off the majority of the day. It's, you know, five o'clock, you want to leave. Did you write your blog? No. Okay. Well, better do that before you leave. So I got really good at writing blogs and not only just writing blogs, but like SEO friendly blogs. We used a plugin called Yoast. So I would have to put in my keyword. I need to make sure the keyword is in the title, is in the first paragraph, is mentioned a couple of times throughout the blog, is in the alt tag for the photo. Like we made sure this blog was SEO friendly and had all the elements as you just, you know, described that need to go into writing a blog. But you, you do, when you are forced to, to do something like that, you realize that like you can actually not take four hours to do that. Yes. An hour. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's right. But the other thing is too, like, I'm a big person around energy. So you need to know, like in your day, when is your creative time? Mm-hmm. When is your task time? When is it like, oh, I just got to get shit done time. Right. And totally. then plan your daily to-do list so that it meets what your energy flow is. And I love that. Yeah. And so like, and, and the other reason I moved to the Excel spreadsheet is because like, I found myself, like I was writing a to-do list all the time. Well, mm. half the time I'm like writing the same things over and over again. So I'm like wasting time writing them over and over again. So having it in the Excel spreadsheet, is like, oh, it's already written. I might have to add something, or maybe I don't have to do that one thing that week, but it's already there. So I'm not recreating a to-do list every day. So you pull that up and look at it every day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like with orange fish, like there's certain things with running an e-commerce business that you need to do on specific days Mm. of the week at specific times, right. To maximize everything. Yeah. And so it just made it easier to manage. And, you know, you feel like you're juggling a thousand and one things, but then when you have it in a format like that, it's actually just a simple list. And for me, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So if I get through the list, I get to be done for the day. Mm, so it was also like my way of giving myself permission to finish work at four o'clock or five o'clock, which yeah. sounds ridiculous, right? But I'm the type of person where I, I would work till like eight or nine at night. And mm-hmm. so then it's like, oh no, actually I'm, I'm done everything I have to do for today. So I can go to the beach or do something. Yeah, no, that, that is good. And it is a great balance because I know I definitely got that burnout early yeah. on in the first couple of years. And I, I found ways to, to manage it. And, but to your point, it kind of felt like the list was never ending. And I felt like I was never doing enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like that. Just kind but, of, but here's the thing, the list will never be ending. If you're running your own business, the list never will be ending. So as business owners, we can never complain about the list never ending. Cause if your list ends, that's not good for your business. Yeah. That means your business is ending. Yeah. No, there's always, always something you can, you can do, you can invest in, you can, 
spend more time even learning and just, you know, yeah. growing ideas for your business is, uh, it's, it's never ending. But when you love what you do, my dad always says, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I definitely felt that, that, you know, I wanted to be in a space that I enjoy because I worked previously where, you know, I had a hour commute home and I would just complain to my husband, you know, my then boyfriend at the time um, on the phone, the entire car ride home. And that was pretty toxic. Um, and you realize like just the, the negative energy it brings into your life. And then I, I, I realized once I started my own thing and I had a lot of stress, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you still have off moments, but just in general, it was, I was so much lighter as a person and so much happier. And I know my husband had a similar situation too, where he worked at a company where they were just negative energy and it was always it was never positive reinforcement it was always kind of negative fear-based reinforcement and um and then once he got out of that environment just like a happier person and um it really kind of shifts your whole mood because we work so much of our lives and I always say it's like you know my business partner's like another life partner you know and uh I I you know you spend more time with you know people that you work with often than you know your close family sometimes yeah so it is important to build that life that you want for yourself in the in your work world just as much as your personal world yeah and you know people will argue with that well like I have to have this job and okay maybe you do have to have that have to have that job right now but are mm-hmm. you looking to your future are you thinking about changes that you want to make how can you make things better for yourself? And, and unfortunately, I think as humans, we lean towards the negative because it's protective. That's where our fear drives us to. But I, I can only hope that more and more people will start to look at like, how can I actually take control to make an improvement in my life? And it could be something simple, like starting a daily gratitude thing, like, mm-hmm. You know, because it really does change your perspective. And you know what's so funny, Vanessa? Like, there's so many things. Like, I wanted to talk to you more about a partnership and the challenges in it and stuff, but I don't think we have time. And so we might have to do another one. Um, yeah. But I, I do always end with this same question. So if you listen to this in Hermes episode, you probably know what's coming. Um, but I like I love Tim Ferriss, and he always asks people this question. So I steal it. <laughs> I'm like a known stealer. Um, but if you had a billboard in Dundas Square, like one of those massive billboards, what message would you want to have on that billboard that you think people should know or learn? Um, it can be a message to your customers. It can be a message to just any person in particular. Like what is the message that you want people to think of if they think of you? So I did think of this because I heard it in Hermes podcast, as you mentioned. <laughs> You're like, she's gonna ask me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, because I know she she paused for a second, I think, and I was like, oh, what would I say? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, I, I feel like I'm changing my answer um, on the spot. And it just be just in all that we've discussed and just thinking about things. Um, I don't know why it stands out for me because I do have so many little, like be your own biggest fan, you know, do what you love, you'll never work a day and like all these sorts of things. But I, the other thing that stands out for me is like consistency breeds progress. And I think that's um, a big part of business and your personal life and anything you want to accomplish. And with, you know, video projects, like I, I find video is such an integral part of communications 
learning, um, you know, in, internal communications as well as external marketing. So I think video um, is is a way to connect. It's a way to engage, way to teach, and being consistent with whatever you do in in life, in business, and with video projects, I think is uh, what's going to then move the needle um, for your business. I love that. Thank you so much. That's awesome. You know, like we could seriously talk for hours. Yeah, <laughs> last time I think we talked for like two and a half hours, I think. And we're like, that hour <laughs> meeting went a little bit long. <laughs> but if, um, if people want to learn more about you or your business, like where should they go? Where should they find out more information? Well, I love connecting on LinkedIn and I'm pretty active. So connect with me there, linkedin.com slash Vanessa Holding. And then of course my, um, my company's website, arkhamcrown.com is where you can find all of our video work. And we also have like a resources tab if anyone is um, ever interested in thinking video or creating video. And we have some um, documents there that might be interesting. Okay, perfect. I'll add that to the show notes as well, Vanessa. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, I loved this discussion. I hope it was uh, beneficial to you as well. And we will definitely have to do another one where we talk about partnerships. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Janet. It was a pleasure.